Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Good evening. I'm storyteller Otis Gyre, and I ain't your grandfather. From where I'm from, we don't do bedtime stories. And if that's what you were expecting, you're in the wrong place. If it's terrifying tales you're after, well then, I've got just the thing. Get comfortable, settle in, turn off the lights, if you dare. Your night is about to get a whole lot darker. <laughs> Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs> Good evening! You're listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark. Welcome, dear listeners, to Season 10, Episode 8. I'm your host, Otis Jiry, and in this episode, I'll be performing four tales to terrify you, courtesy of Renee Reen, about liminal luggage, dimensional doorways, putrescent poultry, and malevolent mail drops. You're listening to the standard edition of tonight's program, which contains the first two spine-tingling stories. If you'd like to show your support and enjoy an extended version of this and other episodes with twice the terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today. Thank you for your support. Now, it's time to take a walk together down the moonlit trail. So, lock your doors, turn your lights down low, and settle in. The show is about to begin. <laughs> Whenever someone dies, chances are they have stuff. Stuff that might be even older than they were, and may even be home to things that lived longer than they did. In any event, Sometimes people get stuck with having to deal with it and have to make the best of a bad situation. Take the suitcases in our first tale from René Reen, which, when they can't find a home, find themselves put to good use. But as you may have heard, no good deed goes unpunished. Without further ado, I present to you Suitcase Land. What do you do with a room full of old, musty suitcases? That was the first question that came to my mind after I had a look through my late uncle's estate. He'd recently passed away, and as his only living relative, his home fell to me by default. 
To be honest, I knew I wouldn't find much value right from the start. Sure, his old farmstead was prominent, but it was in terrible condition. Most of the furniture was old, and the many tools he'd amassed were rusty and hadn't been touched in years. I found the suitcases filling a storage room at the back of the house. I blinked, shook my head, and then stared at him. What the hell? I knew some people owned multiple suitcases. Hell, various sets. This, however, was different. Who the hell owned an entire room full of them? It didn't take me long to solve the mystery. My uncle had worked as a market trader in the later years. He bought cheap products in bulk before he sold them on the weekly markets in the area. One of his last purchases had been these suitcases. I tried to figure out how many there were, but it was impossible. There had to be hundreds of the damn things. Hoping they'd at least be worth something, I gave one of them a closer look. They were big, huge even, but cheaply made. Even worse, they had to be decades old and clad out with strange inner fabric. Nonetheless, a few days later, I took one of them to a pawn shop in a nearby town. When I handed it over to the owner, he frowned. He turned it around a few times, opened it up, and checked the inside before he shook his head. I hope you didn't pay much for this, because it's pretty much worthless. The design is shoddy and old-fashioned, and the materials for crap. I sighed. Well, I expected as much. But don't you think collectors or vintage enthusiasts might be interested in them? The man shrugged. You could give eBay a try, but I wouldn't count on it. I guess you don't want to try it yourself, do you? The man laughed and shoved the suitcase back in my direction. No dice, too much of a hassle. I picked up the suitcase again, thanked the man, and made my way back to my uncle's home. Eventually, I sorted through the suitcases, picked out a select few in better condition, and brought them downstairs. I put them on the floor in a room I'd already stripped bare, my uncle's old bedroom. There, on the hardwood floor, I tried my best to take a few good pictures. It wasn't easy. These things were old and cheaply made, and even I had to admit they did look like crap. Even worse, my two feline roommates, Keisha and James, seemed to love them to death. The moment I turned away, one of them would have crawled into whatever suitcase I'd focused on at the moment. Keisha and James were both three old tabbies. While Keisha was bright orange, James was grayish white. They were the sneakiest little troublemakers I'd ever come upon, and they made taking the pictures a living hell. Still, I couldn't imagine being out here in the middle of nowhere without them. Once I was done with the monumental task of taking a handful of pictures, I uploaded them to eBay. It took almost a week before the first reply came. A young man named Damien messaged me and said he was interested in them. He was a vintage collector and would like to come by and have a look. What do you know? Guess some people are interested in them. That's what I'd thought, at least. When Damien arrived and I showed him the actual suitcases, his mood went sour. Yeah, no. Thanks for wasting my time. Well, you said you were interested, so... That's because of the pictures. You didn't say the material was awful. God, these things smell. Those your grandpas or something? I sighed audibly. What an asshole. Instead of yelling, however, I tried a different route. Tell you what, you can have them for free. That way your trip wasn't entirely. And what would I do with them? As I said, they smell like hell. I appreciate the gesture, but I'm good. With that, he made his way back outside and drove off without another word. No goodbye or anything. And thus I was left with hundreds of old, musty, and most importantly, worthless suitcases. When I came back to the room to get rid of them, Keisha and James were busy hiding in them. 
How come you guys love those so much? All I got for an answer was a loud meow from Keisha before she vanished inside one of them. I watched the two for a while and left the suitcases out for now. After another day of sorting through my uncle's things, I busied myself on the internet the next evening. For a while, I watched some videos on YouTube before I somehow ended up looking at cat toys and climbing trees. I blamed James, who snuggled up on my lap as I sat on the living room couch. I was sure they'd love one of them, especially out here in a half-empty house. But those things were pretty expensive. Right now, I couldn't afford something like that. At least, not until I sold my uncle's house. And that could very well take a while. Then I got another idea. I'd always been a do-it-yourself guy and looked up homemade cat climbing trees. Most of what I found, however, were box fortresses. Now, I'd love the idea of a box fortress for Keisha and James, but being in the process of cleaning out a house, I couldn't afford to waste any boxes. So much for the box fortress, I thought. Sorry, little guy, I said to James as I scratched his head. Eventually, I got up to prepare myself something to eat. As I went on my way, I peeked into the next room over. Keisha was still there, sleeping in a half-open suitcase. Right at that moment, another one of my problems came to my mind. The freaking suitcases. What the hell would I do with them? How'd I even get rid of them? At that moment, something clicked. I couldn't build a box fortress because I didn't have any boxes. What I could do, however was to build a suitcase fortress. Or how I came to call it in my head, suitcase land. While I ate dinner, my mind was already hard at work thinking about building a fort from suitcases. I had hundreds of the damn things just lying around, and for all I knew, they weren't worth a thing. I could just cut them open, tape them together if I wanted to. Hell, I could use a break from cleaning out the house and sorting through my uncle's things wasn't long before I started on my work. At first, I tried to use a carpet knife, but those suitcases proved sturdier than I thought. After a few minutes, I gave up in frustration, went to my uncle's old workshop, and returned with a saw. And that made things much easier. I cut away the left side of the suitcase, the first one, and then the right side. After that, I did the same to the next one, taping them together to create a tunnel. I don't know what drove me on, but I was at it for days and went completely overboard. At first, I extended the ground level and made it into a convoluted mess. Then I started on a second level. Eventually, I added towers and bridges, all made from suitcases or suitcase parts. What I had originally planned to be nothing but a circular tunnel comprising of a few suitcases soon became bigger. I guess I was bored and frustrated out here, and this project helped me live out my suppressed creative urges. Once I was done using more than half of the old musty suitcases, I couldn't help but be in awe. Suitcase land had expanded from a small ground-based maze to a room-filling fortress of tunnels, towers, and dead ends. James and Keisha were head over heels in love with my creation. The moment I was done, they vanished inside suitcase land and weren't seen for hours. They must have been busy exploring the various tunnels, sneaking up on each other, or simply sleeping in one of the dead ends. I expected them to tire of it soon enough, but they kept at it for the entire next week, only leaving suitcase land to eat. After a while, I grew more curious, wondering what they are up to. After some deliberation and research on the internet, I bought a cat harness and a GoPro camera in the hopes of learning a little more about their adventures. The moment I made it home, I couldn't wait to get going. James was the first victim of my newfound curiosity. However, when I tried to fit the harness on him, he cried out and lamented in misery. I had to accept that this wouldn't work, at least not with James. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. 
It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. When Keisha came out to eat, I tried my luck again. I fastened the GoPro to her neck and let her roam free. To my surprise, she didn't seem to mind the harness and accepted it after some early suspicions. At first, she was merely walking around the living room, testing her footing. Once she seemed satisfied and had adjusted to the harness, she made her way back to Suitcase Land, where James had vanished hours ago. While the cats were adventuring, I took care of a few things I'd neglected to create, the suitcase monstrosity around the house. Late in the evening, hours after I'd eaten dinner, I saw Keisha again. I picked her up and put her on my lap. What a swift motion. I removed uh, the GoPro and inserted the SD card into my laptop as carefully as I could. I couldn't wait to watch the footage. I fast-forwarded through Keisha walking around the living room until she was on her way to suitcase land. For a while, she walked around it, scanning and sniffing the suitcases here and there. Then she walked to the entrance and ventured inside. I watched as she crawled through the barely lit entrance tunnel. The moment she made it around the first bend, however, the video became too dark to see anything. I continued it, playing it a while longer, and listened to Keisha move around before I closed it in frustration. Well, that was useless. Great idea, but as so often, I wasn't smart enough to think this through. The next day, I got another idea. After I'd gotten a hold of the cats and made sure they were nowhere near suitcase land, I put tiny holes into the first couple of suitcases, hoping to lighten up the footage. That result proved less than satisfactory. You could see the tiny glowing circles, but that was about it. The rest was still nothing but darkness. My last resort was to get a tiny mag light and fasten it to the GoPro. As a test, I turned off all the lights in the living room and let Keisha walk around for a bit to see if it would work. To my surprise, it worked out well enough. So once again, I let Keisha go, hoping she'd set out on another adventure into suitcase land, which she promptly did. When I woke up the following day, the first thing I saw was James' little face. He'd crawled up on top of me and was meowing right into my face. Aren't you happy to see me, little guy? I petted him for a bit and stroked his back, but he didn't purr like he usually did. What's the matter, little buddy? You hungry? I got up and made my way to the feeding bowls, but James didn't follow me. Instead, he walked halfway through the living room and stared at suitcase land. Hey, what's the matter with you this morning? I asked, petting him. The moment I touched him, he jerked up, before realizing it was me. He pushed himself against me, almost huddling behind me, but his eyes never moved from suitcase land. What's wrong? I asked again before I realized I hadn't seen Keisha. I called out her name but got no reaction. Normally, she'd come running the moment I called her. Eventually, I made my way to the entrance of suitcase land, staring inside and calling for her again. Nothing. When I turned back, I saw James hadn't moved and was still keeping a safe distance from the place. What if something had happened to Keisha in there? For the first time, I regretted building this entire stupid thing. I went to the entrance and called out once more. When that didn't do anything, I started shaking the first few suitcases, hoping she'd come out. Still nothing. Before long, I wandered around the entire construction leaning in close and calling her again and again. Finally, I heard a quiet, muffled meow 
originating from inside. I rattled more of the suitcases, but she still didn't come out. The idea of her being hurt was on my mind instantly. For a moment, I just wanted to tear the entire thing down. But how long would it take before I'd find her? Even worse, what if I'd end up hurting her more? Hell, she might be right there, past the first bend, unable to move. I cursed and got myself a flashlight before I pushed my upper body into the first suitcase. Keisha, I called out. I pushed my arms outward, but there was no way I could reach the first bend. Then, with little choice, I got down on my hands and knees and pushed myself into the first suitcase. To my surprise, I could make it inside. Those things were huge. This was ridiculous. I built this stupid thing for the cats, not for myself. I'd have laughed about how ridiculous this was if I wasn't so worried about Keisha. After a few moments, I made it far enough to reach the first bend and could look around it. I illuminated the tunnel in front of me using the flashlight, but all I saw were more interconnected suitcases and a mess of inner fabric. I didn't see a hint of Keisha. I called out again, and soon the strangely quiet and muffled meow reached my ears once more. Who the hell are you? I cursed to myself. Pushing myself past the first bend proved almost impossible. More than once, I entangled myself in the soft inner fabric. As I tore myself free and onward, I could hear the tape I'd used to connect the suitcases stretch and almost tore the entire thing apart. Then I was through. As I illuminated the tunnel ahead of me, I realized how big the damn thing was. What the hell kind of monstrosity had I built here? How'd I ever thought that building a room-sized cat fortress was a good idea? I crawled on, flashlight in hand, but saw no hint of Keisha. The further I continued, the less difficult it became to move. At first, I could barely fit through the tunnels and had to push myself forward on my stomach. By now, I could crawl forward on my hands and knees. How was there so much room in here? This shouldn't be possible. Maybe it was because of different suitcase sizes, I reasoned. I'd probably use bigger ones for this part. But had there been any that were bigger than the rest? Hadn't they all been the same size? I felt a cold shiver running down my spine. I stopped and took a deep breath for a moment. But then I heard Keisha again. This time it was coming from my right. It was still the same sounding nearby, but strangely distant. As I illuminated the area before me, I soon noticed various tunnels. I counted six to my left and five to my right. Had I added that many? One by one, I illuminated them and listened. Before long, I pinpointed Keisha's meows in the third tunnel to my right. I pushed myself inside, hoping to find Keisha in a dead end. Instead, the tunnel continued. It was bending in various ways before it began sloping upward. By now, I couldn't fight the strange feeling that had come over me anymore. Why was there a slope in here? How was this thing so big? This was ridiculous. Before long, I felt hot and sweaty, could barely breathe, as panic came over me. Claustrophobia. This had to be some sort of hallucination caused by claustrophobia. In the onset of panic, I tried to give up tried to tear the damn tunnel apart and escape. As much as I tried, as much as I moved, the suitcases didn't come apart. I desperately clawed at the inner fabric, trying to find the connections, the tape, but I couldn't find them. Where the hell was it? My hands dug through more and more of the inner fabric, tearing it apart. The more I did, though, the less it felt like fabric and more like... Something different, something almost organic. I was hyperventilating, close to freaking out, and had to tell myself to calm down and to breathe, and yet I couldn't help it. Finally, I threw myself against the side of the tunnel again and again, but it didn't budge, didn't move at all. I stopped my rampage when I heard Keisha meowing again. You stupid freaking cat. This is all because of you. I cursed out loud. I was angry now, angry and afraid, and in a state of perpetual half-panic. 
The slope continued for an impossibly long time. Again and again, I brushed against the inner fabric. By now, it felt wet and sticky, almost like skin. Here and there, I thought I saw it bulging, as if something behind it was breathing and moving. For a moment, I closed my eyes and took another deep breath, before I concentrated on the beam of the flashlight in front of me. Eventually, the tunnel opened up to a wider area. A brief laugh escaped my mouth. There was no way this was real. I had to be imagining it. This wasn't a cut-open suitcase anymore. No, this was a vast, empty chamber. I heard the meow again. It was coming right in front of me this time, however. I realized it wasn't muffled. Hadn't been. Instead, it was all distorted, all wrong, as if it was a faulty recording of Keisha's meow. I tensed up as terror gripped me. Something was wrong here. Keisha, I brought out in a shaken voice. At that moment, the flashlight beam illuminated something in front of me. There on the ground was a tiny magalite next to it, the GoPro. I picked them up and pocketed them before I noticed the harness. How the hell had it come off? I saw it right away. It was torn apart at the back. How'd Keisha... No, there was no way she'd be able to tear it apart. Once more, a cold shiver went down my spine. If not Keisha, then what? As if to answer me, the sound of distant rustling reached me. Then I heard the soft inner fabric ahead of me being torn apart. It sounded as if something was cutting through it. My body froze, my fingers were clutching onto the flashlight, and I watched in disbelief as the tunnel at the end of the chamber started shaking. The sound of something taking a long, strained breath reached me, and with it I heard the distorted version of Keisha's meow again. A quiet, high-pitched yelp escaped my mouth, and I scrambled backward away from the sounds ahead of me. When something touched my arm, I screamed. For a moment I flailed around, trying to find whatever was attacking me. Then I heard a well-known meow, this time undistorted, followed by a slight hiss. When I turned around, I saw Keisha behind me. She looked terrified. Her little cat eyes were wide open and I could see she was limping. I instantly got a hold of her and cuddled her between my arms. For a second, she let me, before she freed herself, and snuck past me again. No, Keisha, wait! I called out, but when I looked after her, I was confused. The slope was gone. Instead, I saw the very first bend right behind me. I crawled back and pushed myself around the bend. Once more, I barely fit, but when I made it, Keisha was sitting there waiting for me. Half a minute later, I made it back outside and had escaped from suitcase land. Still shaking and sweating, I stared at the construction in front of me and measured it up with my eyes. There was no hint of any slope, no hint of a central chamber or the multitude of tunnels I'd seen. Even the longest part of this damn thing barely measured more than a few meters. There was no way any of what I'd just witnessed was real. No, it must have all been a hallucination. Remembering Keisha, I turned around and swiftly got a hold of her. She was exhausted and clearly hurt. I took her to the vet instantly. When I arrived, the vet told me that Keisha was very agitated and asked me what had happened to her. I was about to tell her about suitcase land, but then I stopped and made up the story instead. Well, I let her out yesterday afternoon and she only returned this morning. She was hurt and limping. Maybe she got into a fight with a stray? The vet eyed me for a moment. She has a bruised leg, but it's nothing serious. What I'm concerned about is her back. That wound's not from another cat. It looks more like a cut. Maybe from a bird, but I've seen nothing like it. After a more thorough analysis, it turned out that the wound on the back wasn't as bad as initially thought. It was nothing but a scratch and had barely broken the skin. In that instant, I remembered the torn harness. What the hell had happened to Keisha? 
For now, though, I was happy to hear that she wasn't hurt seriously, and that the worst was the agitation. The vet advised me to keep her in the house for at least a week, and ensure she wouldn't lick the wound excessively. Once I made it back home, the first thing I did was dismantle suitcase land. It didn't take long since I tore it apart by force. I was apprehensive the entire time, afraid something or someone hiding inside would attack me. Nothing like that happened, and after only an hour, suitcase land was nothing but an enormous stack of cut-open and half-torn-apart suitcases. Before long, I reasoned that Keisha must have injured herself on a zipper. Hell, maybe she'd somehow bitten or scratched through the harness after all. In my experience, nothing but hallucinations caused by an onset of claustrophobia I didn't know I suffered from. With that, the entire story of Suitcase Line was over. Or it would have been if I hadn't remembered the GoPro. It was still working, and when I inserted the SD card into my laptop, I saw that the memory was filled with one giant video file. It was this video that changed everything. Soon enough, though, things became strange. I watched as Kisha made her way onto Suitcase Land, like so many times before, I watched with wide eyes as she ran through and explored ever-expanding and ever-widening tunnels. Kisha was traveling far, far further than should have been possible. Before long, she ran up and down slopes, crawled through holes, and explored wide, arching chambers. It was an absolute impossibility, yet it was all right here, right in front of me on the screen. I heard the entirety of the suitcase line shake, before the camera turned dark. It grew closer and closer, and then Keisha froze, and I heard the same rustling and tearing sounds I'd heard myself. A second later, I heard Keisha meow, heard her hiss furiously, followed by a snap. The harness, I thought. That's when the harness was cut off. After that, the video comprised nothing but darkness, but I could still hear strained breathing nearby. And then, to my utter horror, a figure was moving in the darkness and pushed itself closer to the camera. A moment later, I heard the distorted imitation of Kisha's meow again and saw a single alien eye staring right at me. I hope you enjoyed Suitcase Land by Rene Reen, as performed by yours truly. If you enjoyed that tale and would love to read more from tonight's very talented feature author, you can help support them by visiting simplyscarypodcast.com slash reen. That's simplyscarypodcast.com slash r-e-h-n. If you'd like to hear more of Rene's stories can visit his Reddit page, or perhaps go back through the archives to Season 8, Episode 22 to be exact. You'll find four other stories there to help ease you into pleasant nightmares. If you do decide to stop by the profile, please leave Renee a kind word and let him know you heard about him here on this show and that Otis Jiry sent you. It would mean a lot to me. Thanks again for your support of this program and of tonight's featured author. So what's the moral of that first story? If you thought, don't build anything out of suitcases, well, that's not correct. The real answer is, never do anything special for cats. It's never worth it, no matter how cute the look they give you. We move on from doing something nice for others, for finding a nice niche for oneself. In our second tale of the evening, Rene Reen leads us to a less-than-altruistic individual whose purchase at a flea market opens a world of possibility, and maybe even a few places that shouldn't be seen. Without further ado, I present to you The Mysterious Key. I always love the flea market in my city. 
It wasn't so much that I needed anything. It was just nice to go there with friends. We'd have a look around at all the things available, have some beers, and enjoy the weather. The best time to go was during summer. The place was always packed with people and merchants selling all sorts of things. You could find vintage LPs, old classical books, and a lot of strange memorabilia. It was a treasure trove. I was always on the lookout for weird things, things with a certain character. Whenever I went there, I bought strange figurines, weird books, old postcards and photographs, and other similar things. The last time I was there was about a month ago. This visit changed my life forever. While my friend Martin, an avid collector, had a look at a stall that sold DVDs and CDs, I checked out the other stalls nearby. It wasn't long before I noticed an old woman who propped up a little camping table. On it, she placed about two dozen keys. How weird's that? Someone's selling keys. I walked up to have a look almost instantly. Most of the keys were for display and were old and rusty, yet some were strangely ornate, made of gold or other more expensive materials. While I studied them, my friend walked up to me. His eyes went to the table in front of me, and he laughed. "'Who the hell's going to buy a random key?' he asked. "'Oh, they're not random. They're special keys for special places,' the woman behind the table answered. "'Yeah, sure, whatever,' he replied, shrugged, and wandered off. "'Where are they from? Like those over here. They look really old,' I asked, pointing at one of the more rusty ones." The woman leaned forward and explained, Well, those you just pointed at are from old buildings, houses that are long gone. Those over there, she pointed at the more ornate ones, are from old castles and forts. They were used to open certain hidden doors. My interest was piqued instantly. I don't know why, but owning a key that used to open a secret door at a castle sounded awesome. For a while, I looked at all the old, ornate keys before I picked up one that seemed to be made of bronze. It was richly decorated, sprouting various little twirls. How much for this one? Dude, why the hell are you buying a stupid old key? What do you want with it? I sighed. Martin was back to annoy me. I don't know. It looks cool. I said, shrugging. The woman had lifted the key and was gazing at it. Now, young man, you've picked a very special one, she said after a while. I couldn't help but sigh inwardly. I was sure she was going to tell me a long, elaborate story about how it was the key to Ludwig XIV's personal sex dungeon in the depths of Versailles. To my surprise, she told me no such story. No, she simply nodded. It's yours for two euros, she finally said. You'll take it for one. Martin, who loved barter, cut in. The woman eyed him for a moment before she nodded. Well, for one, then. I handed her one euro, and she handed me the key. You see, man, that's how you barter. You always have to barter at the flea market. I sighed once more. Martin could go a bit overboard with buying things at the flea market. More than once he got into an argument over prices, or left when a merchant didn't want to take off another euro. While he rambled on, I looked at the key once more. It sure looked special, with all the little twirls and embellishments. We were at the flea market for another hour, and had two more beers before we made our way home. It was barely two in the afternoon, But because of the heat, I felt quite drunk. The moment I made it back to my apartment, I took a nap. I slept almost all afternoon, but I thankfully didn't feel drunk anymore when I got back up in the early evening. The first thing I did was go through my backpack and sort through my newest treasures. I'd gotten a strange old picture book depicting the works of M.C. Escher and other similar artists, framed postcard, depicting some sort of surreal motif, and finally the ornate bronze key. 
I eyed it for a bit and couldn't help but laugh. You could find the weirdest things at the flea market. I put away the book, hung up the friend postcard, and eventually connected the key to a chain and let it dangle from a small nail in the wall. I considered going out to meet some friends, but I didn't feel like it after spending a good part of the day at the flea market. Instead, I found myself a movie on Netflix and prepared myself for a slow, chill evening. When I returned from the bathroom at one point, my eyes wandered back to the strange key I'd bought. That design. Why was it so strange? All those little twirls and embellishments. Had this thing ever fit anywhere? For a while I sat there, turning it over in my hands, before I got an idea. I walked up to my small storage room, and to my surprise, the key was an almost perfect fit for the lock. Huh. What do you know? It fits. I said in surprise. Almost without thinking, I tried turning it and realized I could. The lock clicked, then clicked again before the door sprang open. I pushed the door open a bit more, and my eyes grew wide. I got a hold of the handle to close it again, but when I stared through the crack, I didn't see my storage room and the haphazardly stacked boxes. Instead, I was staring at an entirely different room. What I saw in front of me was a much bigger, much wider room than my small storage room or any other room in my apartment was. An icy shiver went down my spine, and I threw the door shut. When I opened it again, the world was normal again, and all I saw was a small storage room in boxes. It had been nothing but the trick of an eye, an optical illusion. I laughed. Of course it was. And yet I had held the strange, twisted key in my hands, and I couldn't help but wonder what had just happened. You picked a very special one, the old saleswoman had said. Almost in a trance, I put the key back in the lock with the slightly shaking hands. Once more, I turned in the lock, clicked once, twice, and the door opened again. I didn't throw it shut right away this time, but peeked inside carefully. What I saw was some sort of grand hall. I saw a rich hardwood table surrounded by hardwood chairs. As I looked inside, the walls were clad in fine wood and sprouted ornate paintings. A huge, expensive carpet covered the floor. I could see various golden figurines positioned on a small cupboard that stood against one wall from where I was. What the hell? This was supposed to be my storage room. How could there be a room like this here? Then I thought back to what the old woman had said. Those keys were used to open hidden rooms in old castles and forts. So, was this some sort of hidden room in an old castle? I couldn't help but laugh. This was silly. No, this was insane. And yet the room was right there, right in front of me. I could almost step inside if I wanted to. The moment this crossed my mind, a strange sense of curiosity came over me. Could I just enter? My eyes wandered back to the golden figurines on the cupboard. Could I just take them? For a few moments I was unsure and wondered if this was some sort of trick. Maybe, whatever this was, it was trying to lure me in. I carefully took off one of my slippers, picked it up and pushed it forward, past the threshold of the doorframe. I don't know what I expected to happen, but nothing did. With that, I dropped the slipper and put it back on before I reached out with my hand. Nothing happened. My hand continued, touching nothing but air. There was no sensation or anything. The room was just here. Once more, my eyes wandered to the cupboard and the riches on top of it. Leaving the door open, I got a hold of a chair from the living room. Then I propped it against the door to keep it from falling shut. Excitement washed over me as I pushed my foot forward and brought it down on the rich carpet. Then I took another step. My heart was beating hard in my chest, and I could feel my blood rushing through my veins. My eyes darted left and right, almost expecting a door to open or something, to storm at me. 
When nothing happened, I hurried over to the cupboard and picked up on the first of the golden figurines, then another, and finally an ornate golden candle holder as well. A few seconds later, I was back in my apartment. My heart was still beating fast, and I was panting. I couldn't believe any of this. For a moment, I stared back before I threw the door in fear of repercussions. I turned the key twice more. I was happy to see my old, dusty storage room again. A sigh of relief escaped me, and I quickly put the strange multidimensional key back on its little nail. For a moment I wondered if it all had been a dream, a silly flight of fancy conjured by reading too many fantasy novels. But when I turned from the door, I noticed the golden figurines and the golden candle holder. I picked them up almost by instinct and took them with me into the living room. For long minutes I studied them, tested their weight, before I couldn't help but grin. I had no clue what these things would be worth, but I knew they had to be worth something. At first, I didn't know what to do with them. I couldn't very well put them on eBay, and I had no clue what any of them would be worth. No, I probably had to take them to some antique store. I busied myself on the Internet for the next few evenings, reading up on historical figurines and their worth and searching for a reputable store. A few days later, I put the figurines and the candle box holder in a box and went on my trip. The owner was impressed. He said this was centuries old, but not shoddy or cheaply made. When he asked me where I got it from, I told him an elaborate story about my grandfather having been a collector of old items. I came upon them by accident while cleaning his attic and thought they might be worth something. The man eyed me for a moment, and I could tell he wondered about the authenticity of my story. Soon enough, though, his greed pushed those doubts aside. He was quick to make me an offer, one that was pretty damn good, but I'd also done my research. The man held my gaze for a few moments before he pretended to give the figurines and the candle holder another look. Then he gave me another, higher offer. I told him I'd looked at other stores online, Similar items went for much higher prices. I was sure he was still ripping me off, but the four-figure numbers he gave me were too good to pass for someone like me. Before I could leave, however, the man smiled at me and told me if I found any other valuables amongst my grandfather's collection, I should visit him. He'd be more than happy to have a look at them. And so I sold. I told him I'd see what I could find. It's often said that money poisons people, and after my experiences those past weeks, I wholeheartedly agree. The moment I sold those figurines in that candle holder, the moment I tasted riches, that was the moment I knew I had opened that door again. The instant I was back in my apartment, the key was in my hands again. I turned once, then twice, and the moment the door sprang open, I pushed the little box I'd still been holding between the door and the doorframe and ventured inside. My eyes darted left and right back and forth in search of anything valuable. There were paintings, there were some silver tableware, and an ornate dagger I'd not noticed before. I got a hold of the dagger and as much of the silverware I could carry and dumped them into my hallway in a swift motion. A few minutes later, I'd taken down all the paintings. I stared back, and for a moment, I considered taking even the rich hardwood chairs. Then I told myself enough was enough for today. I'd have to sell all those items first, anyway. During my search online, I soon found another reputable buyer. The silverware turned out to lend me a good price, and so did two of the paintings. The dagger, however was the most valuable of all items I'd plundered so far because it was jeweled with various stones of value. I couldn't help but grin on my entire drive back. This was crazy. I was freaking rich. However, the third time I ventured into the room, I found little of value anymore. There were a few smaller silver items I hadn't taken until now, 
and an ornate vase at the end of the hall, but that was about it. Once I'd closed the door again, I couldn't help but frown at my measly yield. Maybe I could take some chairs after all at a later point. It wasn't long before I wondered what else the key could do. After making a few, as I told myself, necessary purchases, I knew I could use a bit more. The more money you have, the easier it is to spend it. The first thing I tried was my kitchen door. The key fit perfectly, and I turned it once, then twice. When it sprang open, I expected to find the same room. Instead, I was greeted by what I assumed to be a small study. I couldn't help but grin at the various items I saw there. I saw golden candle holders, an ornate oil lamp, a globe, and various other richly decorated items. It didn't take me long to plunder the room for everything it was worth. After that, I tried the key at my bedroom door. However, this time it led me to a musky dark room, most likely a cellar or something. I cursed in frustration and threw the door shut again. Even after two more tries, the door never led me to a different room. I realized that I just learned a valuable piece of information. This key could open the doors to rooms in a different place in time, but a single door could only ever open to a single room. Over the course of an evening, I tried all the doors in my small apartment. While some doors led me to other dark or empty rooms, I discovered that my bathroom door led to a dressing room stacked with rich jewelry. And yet, even though my living room table was covered in rich antique items, I wanted more. One night, at three in the morning, I descended and tried every single door I could find. It wasn't long before I resorted to using different doors. The first ones I opened were the doors in my apartment building's basement. While some of these doors led me to more valuables, I also discovered different rooms, rooms similar to that old musty cellar my bedroom door led to. While some were nothing but old sheds or musty basements, others were stranger, creepy even. One door opened up to nothing but oppressive darkness. It wafted outside in heavy, thick swaths. I froze when I saw the outlines of something stirring in the back. For the blink of an eye before I threw the door shut again, my eyes met something else, something staring at me from the back of the room. It should have been at this moment I'd call it quits and give up, but of course I didn't. After all, only a single door could ever open to a single room, right? A few days later, all signs of danger were forgotten, and any repercussions for my actions were gone. No, I told myself. If I ever noticed something strange again, I could throw the door shut, and that was it. Before long, I increased the scale of my operations. It wasn't so much in sales, but in terms of doors. I couldn't just go around and use random doors. Eventually, someone would notice what I was doing, and there was no telling what would happen. At first, I went on Airbnb and rented out random apartments in my city, using their doors to check for rooms that contained riches. Slowly but steadily, my stock of values increased, and I had boxes upon boxes of valuables in my small apartment before long. I was still careful in selling them, never went to the same store twice, never sold more than a few select items, and always came prepared with a story. But even as I made more and more money, even as I filled up box upon box of valuables, my greed increased tenfold. I wouldn't stop or give up. No, I had plans, dreams, and ideas that I'd already mapped out in my mind. Eventually, I found what I'd been looking for. Here, in eastern Germany, there are many old abandoned industrial areas, remnants of companies that went bankrupt after the unification and was left to rot. There were entire factory complexes and old office buildings like this in my city. Sure, they'd been stripped of most of their valuables, but those weren't of interest to me. No, as many as I could find, what I was looking for 
were doors. While many of the old doors had been broken down, I still found as many still functioning. That's how I came to spend many days and nights traversing old abandoned complexes, hunting for doors in the riches behind them. However, not every door led me to a room filled with treasures, and the more doors I tried and grittier I got, the more often I encountered other rooms. More than once, I found musty basements or old rotten attics. At one point, I even found myself in what was, without a doubt, a torture chamber. The smell of blood and other body fluids hung heavy in the air. I retched audibly when I opened the door, and as a result, I could hear rattling chains and a quiet, broken shriek that made me throw the door in an instant. At another time, I pushed open the door, only to be greeted by a small, otherworldly study. A few bluish candles only lighted it, and the moment I peeked inside, I found myself face to face with a man sitting behind a desk. When he saw me, he smiled at me and bade me enter and join him. As I stared at him, there was something strange about him. He was wearing a pair of thick, heavy spectacles, but even in the low light of the room, it seemed that there were no eyes behind him. When he opened his mouth, I saw thick, heavy teeth that differed from any I'd ever seen. His voice, too, was almost too human, too studied. For a long second, he simply sat there, smiling at me. Then he pushed himself off of his chair, throwing his body forward in my direction. I screamed, and in shock and terror, I threw the door shut and locked it. I stumbled backward, shaken and scared. What the hell was that? That man or that thing? I told myself to let it all go. This was getting dangerous, and I'd gathered more than enough valuables, hadn't I? What if I encountered something worse than this man? And yet I couldn't. My mind was too filled with money, tainted by it, and only a few days later I made my way to yet another complex. After I'd pocketed another few handfuls of what I assumed to be rich jewelry, I already had forgotten about the strange man thing I'd encountered. It was the next door, however, that changed everything. As so often happened, I found a door at the end of the hallway. I turned the key twice and waited for the door to unlock. Then I carefully pushed it open. All I could see was a press of darkness, a darkness so heavy it wafted outside in thick swaths. For a moment, the strangest sense of deja vu washed over me. Hadn't I seen this before? Before I could do anything, a face pushed itself from the darkness ahead and came to arrest mere inches in front of me. It was a female face, but it was all wrong and strangely elongated. The moment I saw it, I cringed back. My, oh my, I've been wondering when you'd be back. It crooned out in a distorted, high-pitched voice. Every fiber in my body screamed at me to run, to get away, but I rushed forward to close the door to pull it shut in front of me of whatever this thing was. I clung to the rotten door and was about to pull it shut when two giant ghastly hands pushed themselves between the door and the door frame. The door was torn from my hands and then torn from the door frame with a single swift motion. The face started giggling before it vanished again in darkness. And yet, I'd never seen a body. But as I stood there, when my eyes finally got used to the darkness, I realized why. That face, that head, was connected to an elongated neck. Behind it, in the darkness, loomed a terrible thing. A giant, twisted abomination. I saw more faces, more mouths, more eyes, all connected to a single bloated body sprouting hundreds of arms and legs. To the creature's side, I noticed another door, and then another. And as the giggling grew louder, I heard it from a multitude of mouths, and I realized my mistake. A single door can never open more than one specific door. 
But if a room has more than one door, then, oh God, I had it all wrong. And this creature, this creature knew, and it had waited for me just to make this single mistake. When the giant creature rose, I stumbled backward when it pulled itself closer to the door. As I dashed away and rushed down the hallway in sheer and utter terror, I heard the door frame giving way, heard as the creature was pulling itself through it. I only turned back once, only once. I saw dozens of heads on elongated necks, saw a disgusting bloated body, and watched as a multitude of hands and feet dragged it from whatever twisted dimension this creature had been trapped in. Then I ran. I ran and fled from the industrial area as fast as I could. The industrial area was on the news the next day. A building had collapsed for unknown reasons, causing massive destruction. Thankfully, the area had been abandoned years ago and no one had been harmed. At first, I was relieved, thinking that the crumbling building must have crushed the creature. However, the first of the many missing people reports were on the news. All around this abandoned industrial area, people had disappeared and ghastly remains had been found. By now, more than a dozen people have gone missing, not only there, but also in other areas of my city. I don't know what that creature is. I don't know how it can stay hidden. But I know a single thing. It's only because of my greed that it was unleashed upon the world. I hope you enjoyed The Mysterious Key by Rene Reen, as performed by yours truly. If you enjoyed the tales you've heard tonight, I'd like to remind you one last time that tonight's featured author can be found by visiting our website. Just visit simplyscarypodcast.com slash reen. That's simplyscarypodcast.com slash r-e-h-n. Go see what other stories he has cooking up for you on Reddit, or be sure to give him a follow on social media. As a reminder, if you decide to give any of this talented author's stories a read, please consider leaving them a quality review and a kind word, or a thoughtful public comment and an upvote. And be sure to let them know you heard them here on this program and that Otis Jiry sent you. It means a lot to me, more than you can imagine, and I'm sure Renee would much appreciate it. Thanks again for your support of this show and of tonight's featured author. Now, before we go, I'd also like to take a moment to thank you personally for joining me for this episode of Scary Stories Told in the Dark. If you enjoyed what you've heard on today's program, please take a moment to stop by our iTunes page or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts. Leave us a five-star review and a kind word. It makes a huge difference, and it would mean a lot to us. If you'd like to hear a premium extended edition of tonight's and all of our other episodes featuring Twice the Terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click the Patrons link in the menu at the top of the screen. You'll find yourself at chillingtalesfordarknights.com, where you can purchase season passes for this podcast and our other quality storytelling programs. Or become a patron for as little as $5 per month and get access to our entire audio archive dating back to 2012. And all of it is ad-free. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, you can follow and subscribe to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights There, where you'll get all of our latest updates and new releases and have the chance to interact with us each and every week. You can subscribe to me on YouTube as well, at the Otis Jiry channel, where you'll find releases of my series, Horror Storytime, dating back to 2014. And you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram too. Just search for Otis Jiry. Until next week, stay spooky, and get some sleep, if you can. <laughs> Thanks for listening. 
You've been listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark, a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcasts Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted and its featured stories performed by yours truly, Otis Jiry. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Original music provided by Luke Hodgkinson and Jesse Cornett. Sound design and final mixing and mastering provided by executive producer and director Craig Groshek. Program's artwork and logo by David Romero. If you're looking for some fresh tales on a daily basis while waiting for the next podcast, check out my YouTube channel, The Otis Jiry Channel, and my extensive collection of narrated tales there. Simply search on YouTube by my name and you'll find me. And don't forget to subscribe and press the bell notification icon to get my latest releases. Got a scary tale of your own that you'd like performed? I take submissions. Email it to me today at Otis at simplyscarypodcast.com to have your terrifying tome considered for production in a future episode of this show. That's O-T-I-S at simplyscarypodcast.com. If you've enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to me. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and other programs and my channel. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon for CTFDN as well to get more spooky tales from me and the crew and another episode of this program each and every Wednesday. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing and leave a kind word or a request. And don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. As for me, I'll be back next Wednesday with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. But that's all right. Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs> Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.